0: praise the Lord. We're in Acts chapter 13 and verse number 13. Remember, <clears throat> we started the book of Acts, the church on the go. The uh, disciples were given the mandate to take the gospel uh, to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We have gone through up to these 13 chapters and we have seen the progression. We have seen the gospel go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and now we're going to the uttermost parts of The Earth. Last week we saw what a genuine missionary is. Tonight we're going to see uh, that Paul has one message. And this message is an exclusive message and it's an important message. Now kind of just to give you a little outline of what's going on in the remainder of chapter 13 here. There are three things. First of all there's a ministry opportunity. And as always when there's a ministry opportunity then comes ministry opposition. When the gospel begins to go out, it doesn't matter who you are, there will be some who oppose that. That's just the nature of it. And then number three, the ministry onward. Opposition doesn't stop us, it motivates us, and we go forward in the will of the Lord. Let's look at the first one, ministry opportunity. Ministry opportunity, verse number 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga, in Pamphylia. And John, Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, I have a good Bible map here on the preceding page. And if you go through this page, you would see that the Apostle Paul had went to the island of Cyprus through Paphos, and then he turns north and heads to Perga. From there, he's going to go on up to Pamphylia into Asia Minor. This is Paul's, generally speaking, his home region there. He is going in this area, and he is going to take the gospel. Now, something interesting, before we move on to verse number 14 and verse 13, the last sentence, John, who is John Mark, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know what happened that caused John Mark to depart from him, to go back. Something happened. But we encounter later... In Acts chapter 15 and verse 38, we see that Paul wasn't happy about it. He felt as though John Mark had abandoned them. If you'll let me read over in Acts chapter 15 and verse 38. But Paul thought it not good to take him with them who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And remember, we'll get there and we'll study it later. The the contention came so great that Paul and Barnabas separated and extended each other the right hand of fellowship, and they went their own ways. So John Mark faces some kind of of, of difficulty or some kind of of um, some kind of opposition, and he turned and went back to Jerusalem. And again, this left a, a, a bad taste in Paul's mouth. Remember, Paul is a great Christian; he wrote two thirds of the New Testament, but he's still a human being. And that we just this is for free. I'm not on a rabbit trail. I'm just throwing this in for free. We should never, ever put humans on a pedestal. We should not do that. Humans will do humanly things. It's just a matter of time. We're all going to mess up. Look at verse 14. Let's continue. But when they departed from Perga, they went to Antioch in Poseidon. Now, this Antioch is not the same Antioch that he was in earlier. This Antioch is not the Antioch of Syria, but this Antioch is near Pisidia. Now, Pisidia, in verse number 14, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Paul knew how to find a crowd. He knew where to go to find someone to minister. So what does he do? He typically went into the synagogues. In the synagogues, there were men gathered there, and they would read the law and the prophets, and they would have their little ceremonious religious discussions and so on. And notice what happens in verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now listen, that's like saying sick them to a bulldog. You don't tell a preacher anything you got to say, say it now. You know, <clears throat> I used to uh, uh, joke about things like this, but I quit asking people at weddings if there's anybody here that should have just cause, that these two should not lawfully be married, you know, there's always one jokester that has something to say. And, you know, it always kind of gives me a little cringe at funerals when they open it up, does anybody have something to share? Because, you know, there's always that one uncle, that one uncle that's going to go there, and you don't want him to go there. But at any rate, it's a whole different ball game in a synagogue when you open it up to the preacher and you say, you guys have anything to exhort the people. Well, this is what I call a ministry opportunity. You know the Apostle Paul is going to take that. He is called. He is armed with the gospel. He is has a mission that he is going to go forward and preach the gospel. And so he takes every opportunity he gets. And this is a wonderful opportunity for the Apostle Paul. Now, what would he say? You ever think about that? He has a great audience. What? Will Paul say? Well, I want to tell you something. There's only one message that Paul wanted to preach initially in the synagogues, and that message was the gospel. In first Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty three, he said, We preach Christ crucified. He wasn't coming in there and <clears throat> going to teach a diatribe on the Romans. He wasn't going to do all this. He was coming for the distinct purpose of preaching the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's rebuttal, his message, focuses on two major points. Number one, who Jesus is, and number two, what he has done. And now listen to me. We need to preach this more. We need to preach this more as we see the days coming. We need to stop with trying to uh, give uh, prosperity, health, and wealth messages. We need to stop with the self-improvement, self-help style messages. We need to go open up the book and preach the Word of God. Paul has two primary points of emphasis, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Now, on this first one, who Jesus is, he is going to use three testimonies to powerfully declare who Jesus is. First of all, he uses the history of of the nation of Israel. Notice with me in verse number 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. So there are two groups here. There are two groups. One is ye men of Israel. That's the Jews. And the second, ye that fear God are God fearing Gentiles. They're both there the reason the Gentiles are there is because they're God-fearing. They went into the synagogue. Apparently, they are seeking something, and so they're in the synagogue. Now, notice what he says in verse number 17. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with a high arm brought he them out of it. So you remember, he brought them out of Egyptian bondage. Now, notice what Paul is taking the Jews back to their history. They know all about this. He is rehearsing their history. He is bringing them along a historical line all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. There was, there was no king for those 450 years. They had judges that ruled on matters. But what did they want? They wanted a king. They constantly wanted a king. And so God gave them a king, verse 21. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. So they wanted a king and they wanted Saul. If you go back and read, Saul was a very handsome debonair man. He came out of the tribe of Benjamin. He was very well built and he looked like a king should look, I guess, in their eyes. And they wanted this king. Notice in verse 22, and when he had removed him, notice that, Paul gets to the matter and says when he had removed him, when God removed Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave a testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. So what Paul does is he takes the Jews and those God-fearing Gentiles that are there, back to the history of Israel and how God meticulously worked through that history and gave the promise to David through David and that seed that would come to Abraham. He promised a seed, and he preserved it and kept it all the way down. And it was an heir of David, and it came down to Jesus. Paul definitively declares all of the history of Israel, points to Jesus Christ as the lord Jesus Christ as messiah Jesus Christ as savior Paul saying the history of Israel testifies that Jesus is the messiah he is lord he is the savior Then Paul turns to the second testimony Look at it with me in verse number 24 And when John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, remember the Bible says that John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He came to prepare the way for the Lord and he was preaching repentance in verse 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, whom think ye that I am? I am not he. He claimed that he is not the Lord. John was not the Lord Jesus Christ. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Look at verse 26. Paul says, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, now listen, nor yet "...the voices of prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him." So the second testimony was the voices of the prophets. Paul said all the history of Israel pointed to Jesus. All of the prophets proclaimed the coming Messiah. John the Baptist, who was the last one of the last prophets to come before Christ, came on the scene declaring that he was not the Messiah... But the one that was to come, he was not worthy to un- unbuckle his sandals. So he is saying that the voices of the prophets declared that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the second testimony. The third testimony is the declaration of the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection proves or testified that Jesus is Lord, he is Messiah. Notice with me in verse 27. Let me read that again. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they know him not, knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. Paul throws in a dig, you all read the prophets every Sabbath day, and you still didn't get it that Jesus is the one that the prophets talked about. The prophets prophesied about, and they rejected him. They condemned him. Look at verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain, that he would be crucified. So Paul says, you rejected him, you crucified him, and when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, prophecy, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. They buried him. So here we have the Apostle Paul talking about the Jews rejecting him, the crucifixion of him, the burial of him. Why did they bury him? Because he was dead. Some people say he really wasn't dead. He was just asleep. That's foolishness. He was dead. They buried him because they knew he was dead. But notice what the Scripture says in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. God raised him from the dead. And so this is the third testimony that Paul uses that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The rejection of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God in the flesh. That's why we get so excited about Christmas. I love Christmas. And I refuse to let some Scrooge take away my joy about Christmas. My, my joy about Christmas is because Jesus Christ came into this earth to save sinners, 1 Timothy one fifteen, To save sinners, and Paul said, of whom I am chief. This testimony of the history of the church, the testimony of the voices of the prophets, and the testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ all testify that he is the Messiah. He is the one. Paul goes on and says, verse 31, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are his witnesses unto the people. Who, Who were all the witnesses. Who were all the witnesses? Well, all the witnesses were uh, the, Peter that saw him. The disciples saw him. Uh, he was seen of five hundred at one time. He was. Uh, he was. He had been seen by James, and he had been seen by Paul himself. All detailed for you in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses six through eight. So, interestingly enough, this is what the Apostle Paul says, this is who Jesus is. He emphasizes, this is who Jesus is. The second point of emphasis he has is what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Well, I've already read to you, he was rejected. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Uh, He came to the Jewish people, and the Jewish people did not receive him. They did not want some lowly, a baby laying in a manger in a feeding trough and the son of a carpenter growing up. They wanted someone regal. Their God would come and establish a kingdom for them on the earth. Well, Jesus is going to establish a kingdom, but it's in his time, not the Jews' time. But the Jews rejected him. And then they sent him to the cross, and he was crucified, and he was buried, and he arose again on the third day. And there were many eyewitnesses to this. Paul emphasizes two things when he gets the opportunity to speak in the synagogue. He didn't go and try to, to, to garner a great following. He didn't go and try to increase the giving to him and the support of his ministry. No, they said, is it, would you guys have anything to say? And he took advantage of it and he said, I've got two things to say. I want to tell you who Jesus is and I want to tell you what Jesus has done. And let me tell you, there is nothing more valuable on the face of this earth to tell people than who Jesus is And what Jesus has done. Now, let me just tell you this. Paul doesn't end there. He doesn't just tell them who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, but he tells them how they should respond. I get so fed up with these holier than thou scholarly uh, preachers who think they know everything, and they say, well, we don't need to give an invitation. Let me tell you something the Apostle Paul gave an invitation, Jesus gave an invitation, the disciples gave an invitation. And I think the Bible gives us an invitation. And at the end of the book of the Revelation, he says, And let soever who will come. Come. Let them come. Come. And so, I'm not going to be some, let some smug preacher who thinks he knows everything because he's got little letters after his name convince me that asking someone to respond to the gospel is wrong. I'm telling you, it's the right thing to do, and we need to start asking people to respond to the gospel. Now, how did he respond? Read with me. He tells them how to respond. Notice in verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised Jesus up again, as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul goes back and quotes Psalm chapter 2 and verse number 7, God testifying of the Son Jesus and as concerning, that he raised him up from the dead now no more to return to corruption. He said on the wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption, that is decay. Why? Because he was resurrected. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was laid unto his father's and saw corruption. His bones rotted. His spirit went to paradise. I understand that. But his bones went to the grave, and his bones are in the grave. I was stood in Jerusalem at the tomb of David, and there is a vault inside the tomb of David where a Jewish priest, day in and day out, constantly around the clock, they are uh, doing their Jewish prayers and whatnot, and we walk right by the tomb of David. His bones are there. But Jesus's is not. It's not. Look at verse 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, are you ready? All that believe are justified from all things from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. So the Apostle Paul says, this is how you respond to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You believe. You believe. I am so thankful that justification, that I am being justified before God, a legal term that means I have been declared righteous by God. I am so thankful That I am declared righteous by God based on my believing because if it were based on my works I wouldn't get there and neither would you. The bottom line is this. The response to who Jesus is and to what Jesus did is that one should believe. Why do you believe? Well, when you believe in Him you get forgiveness of sins. Not only do you get forgiveness of sins you are justified now listen from all things. Listen to me. Jesus knew every sin you would ever commit. Every sin you would ever commit. Every one of them. And he died for you on the cross, and he paid that penalty, and if you believe in him, you are justified from every sin you would ever commit. That's what the Bible says. All things. And it's interesting, it says, and by him, all that believe. All that believe. No special category of people. As a matter of fact, here in just a moment you're going to see how Paul no longer goes to the Jews, but he changes his emphasis and he changes his ministry to the Gentiles. It's not just one group of people. It's all who believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law has never justified anyone. Because you can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. I can't keep the law. If you were honest and I were honest, we just look at the Ten Commandments and, <clears throat> man, I can't get through three or four of them without having been declared guilty. But he says, believe. Believe. There are so many people who tell so many different things, that how to be saved. you got to do this and you've got to do that. And I've heard people say, you've got to be baptized to be saved. Well, if that were so, then Paul would have put it in here, but it's not. I've heard people say, well, you've got to speak in tongues to be saved. Well, if that were so, he would have put it in here, but he didn't. He said all that believe. There's no other conditions. Believe means believe. Believe means believe. And something happens when you believe in Jesus Christ that he died for you and then he was buried, he arose again, and ye died for your sins, and you believe in him to be your Savior, something happens. You're a new creature created in Christ Jesus. There's none of your works. It's all by faith in Jesus Christ. But now Paul gives a warning, because this is how you should respond, but not everyone responds this way. Paul says, Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. In verse 40 there. What's he talking about? He's talking about Habakkuk 1, five. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. There are some who will not believe. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I can't explain it to you. It's not my job. But I can tell you this. There are some who will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you refuse to believe in him, you are refusing, you are rejecting his free offer of eternal salvation. That's what he says. Luke verse 41. Behold ye despisers, and wander, and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. He's really going to blow their minds in a moment because he's going to turn to the Gentiles. And some of these Jews are going to struggle with the Apostle Paul ministering to the Gentiles because they looked down on Gentiles. They thought Gentiles were dogs. But let me tell you something. Look at verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached again to them the next Sabbath. So the Jews leave because they're not believing now, I don't know if all of them, or half of them, or I don't know to what extent. But the scripture says they were leaving. But the Gentiles, remember those God-fearing Gentiles were there, they come up to Paul and said, hey, will you come back next week? Of course, the apostle Paul would love to do that. But notice verse 43. Now, when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So there was a little, afterwards, there was a little conference there, and the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, they were speaking and and, and encouraging them, exhorting them to continue in the grace of God. Look at verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came, almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. Can you imagine this? Almost the whole city shut down to come and hear the Apostle Paul speak Of these truths. Notice in verse 45. But remember, I told you, whenever there is an opportunity for ministry, there is a ministry opposition that comes. Here comes the opposition. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Envy. Jealousy. They're envious because Paul and Barnabas have all these followers and these great multitudes. They're losing influence. No doubt they're losing money. They're losing all these things. But what does the Apostle Paul do? Notice what the Scripture says. Verse 45, When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. They went as far as blaspheming, (coughs) saying that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. Now, verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. They didn't back down. They didn't get scared. They waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing you put it away from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. Now this is important here. What Paul is saying is this. Listen, we came to you and we thought that it was needful for you all to get the word of God first. The first place they went was to the synagogue to reach the Jews. And just like the Jews rejected Jesus, they rejected the message of Jesus. And Paul says, listen, we're not going to waste our time on you. If you don't want it, we're going on to someone who wants it. That's very important. We're going on. He says, seeing we put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. We're going to the Gentiles. Verse 47. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Paul is saying, listen, we had this wonderful opportunity. We took advantage of it. We preached who Jesus was and what Jesus did. We asked for a, a, an answer. We asked you to, for a response. We asked you to believe in Jesus. You refused Jesus. Because this opposition came and stood against Paul. And Paul said, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let the opposition stop me. The ministry is going onward. It's going onward. We're turning to the Gentiles. And notice, he quotes the scripture, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have sent thee to be a light of the Gentiles. He's turning Paul's emphasis now to the Gentiles that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. Isn't that what he said in Matthew chapter 28, when he told them to go ye into the world, all the world, and preach the gospel, make disciples to the utter ends of the earth? We want you to go to, in Acts chapter 1, and verse 8, take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, Paul understands that. He's picked up on it. He is taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They were glad. This was not just a national Jewish thing. This was a thing that whosoever believed would be saved. And they were thrilled. They were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many was ordained to eternal life, believed. Many were as pointed to eternal life, were believed. Verse 49. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. But here's that opposition again. The gospel is going onward. They're going to the outermost parts of the earth. And here's this opposition, verse 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. They got, the Jews got their people together and got the chief men of the city, got the honorable women, got everybody that was somebody together against the apostle Paul and Barnabas and got them expelled. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium. Now what's this shaking off the dust stuff? What's that business? Well, I want to read what Ryrie says in his study Bible. I thought it was very, very good, very, uh, very well explained in his study Bible. They shook off the dust. Ryrie says, a good Jew took pains not to carry into Palestine any dust from non-Jewish countries. To shake off the dust was a vivid gesture of of a complete break of fellowship and renunciation of responsibility for the person or community gestured at. In other words, the Apostle Paul, when he took off his shoes and shook shook the dust off, he was saying, we're breaking complete fellowship from you, and we are renouncing any responsibility we have for you. We're done. We're going on. The gospel is going forward. We're not going to argue with you. We're not going to sit and reason with you. People are dying and going to hell. We don't have time for this. We are going onward. Look at verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So what happens is there's an opportunity for ministry. They ask Paul. Paul stands up and says, I'll take it. And he, what does he tell them? He tells them who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and how you can receive it. That's what he told them. He asked them for a response. And those that believed were happy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they were excited and they had joy. But those angry opposition, those angry people that refused, they were opposing it. They even went to the, the Bible says, to the extreme of blasphemy. But it didn't stop Paul. It didn't stop Barnabas. They were expelled from the city and he took his shoes off and shook the dirt and every Jew knew exactly what it meant. But notice, all of the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. God did notable work there, and men and women were saved there as a result of this ministry. And so, what I want you to see here, this whole Bible study, is this. This is Paul's first missionary journey. And his missionary journeys began with a message from God. The message was, who is Jesus, and what Jesus has done, and it called for a response. If uh, you're watching this broadcast, and you don't know Jesus, I would like to introduce introduce you to him. As I've already taught you, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is one that the Bible talks about. It all points to Jesus. Salvation is only in Jesus. There is no other way. It's an exclusive way. Only through Jesus. By faith in Jesus alone. Period. If you don't know him, listen. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned. Every one of us are sinners. We've all sinned and we deserve to die because of our sin. The Bible teaches for the wages of sin is death. Someone has to die for your sin. Someone has to die for my sin. But the Bible also teaches that Jesus, the Son of God, who is God in the flesh, was willing to die for you and for me. He was willing to leave the thrones of heaven, to come be born as a baby, laid in a manger, live in this, on this earth for 33 plus years, never sinned, and to go die a horrible death on a cross, to be buried, laid in a grave, and to arise again on the third day. Jesus did that because he loves you. And He is willing to forgive you of your sins and to give you a new life. All you need to do to receive forgiveness of sin and to receive eternal life is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that you're a sinner, and because of your sin you deserve to die. But you believe Jesus died in your place. And right now, the best way you know how, you turn from your sin, you turn to Jesus, and you believe in Him and what He's done to save you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer if you're not saved. And I'm asking you to to believe in Jesus tonight. And just understand that saying the words is not what saves you. What saves you is you are believing in Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he did die for you, and that he arose on the third third day and that he will take you to heaven because you believe in him. You'll be saved. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner and because of my sin, I deserve to die. But I believe you died in my place. Right now, the best way I know how, I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, I believe in you and you alone to take me to heaven. Friend, I mean this with every ounce of sincerity I have based on the authority of the Word of God. If you're sincere and you meant that and you prayed and you're believing in Jesus, you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. I thank God for you. If you would write me and let me know, you can write me a letter. Shawnee Hills Baptist Church, 74, Hinckley Hollow Road, Portsmouth, Ohio, 45662. You can send me a private message on Facebook to my private page or to or my my personal page, whatever, or to the church page. You can send me a message. I will read them. I just like to know if you've gotten saved. I want to rejoice with you. I also want to make sure you got a Bible and give you some helpful literature that'll help get you grounded. And rooted in the faith, I've enjoyed being with you. I hope that you have a wonderful week, and I trust that uh, that you're you're hanging in there. Don't get down. Don't get depressed. Keep your head up. Just remember, this is not going to last forever. Okay, and uh, we have to we have to persevere. We have to, as a church, we got to keep on, keep it on, church. I'm, I'm I'm so thankful for you. You are a unique church. A church. A wonderful church and uh, I just, I'm amazed at your faithfulness and the way that you honor the Lord and even through this pandemic you, you've continued to make sure the tithing was kept up and, and the doors were kept open and and uh, I just thank God for you. I love you and uh, you have such a sweet spirit. Please remember our families that are struggling and um, just call somebody. If God lays somebody on your heart, call them. And let them know you're thinking about them, and uh, you, you can be a great blessing. Okay, listen. I love you. I want you to have a great week. We'll see you Sunday morning. Oh, we'll still we're still online only. Uh, Sunday morning, ten thirty here on our Facebook page, and uh, all these messages about uh, not necessarily a day after, but a little bit after, will be on YouTube. And we're trying to keep those up to date. Our our um, our phone app is up to date, and our audio sermon. And so. <clears throat> um, We encourage you, if you don't have our phone app, uh, I'll put a link on here how you can download our phone app, and uh, we can have push notifications. Uh, You can give from the phone app. You can have a daily devotion there every day, a new, fresh uh, daily devotion, and uh, so many things. So I'll try to get that link up either today or tomorrow for you, and you can download that, and it'll help you. Uh, I love you. Again, I don't want to ramble on. Have a great evening, and we will be together soon. God bless you.